Uh, want to talk about the next big thing coming in telescope technology. We've seen what the Hubble telescope did, the James Webb telescope did. It's really quite amazing. Uh, but looking forward to the Habitable Worlds Observatory. Uh, so this is kind of the next big thing. And this is to further the hunt for Earth-like planets, which is by extension really a hunt for life elsewhere in the universe. We know it's out there. We certainly assume it is. But will we ever, ever be able to find it? Uh, we can certainly find clues that life exists. And, and first, that means finding habitable planets, planets that at least could theoretically hold life. And in recent years, we've made some amazing progress in that. And this uh, next telescope will certainly take that to the next level. So joining us to talk a bit more about uh, all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Dr. Jason Rowe, Canada Research Chair in Extra Solar Planet Astrophysics. Uh, Dr. Rowe, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. Nice to be here. Uh, so let's talk first of all about you know how this will will kind of elevate what's already been a you know pretty exciting field of research. Yeah, the Hubble Worlds Observatory is really that next big step. Right now, we're trying to find you know indirect evidence of of you know are, is there biology out there, and it's a struggle. And what we're going to do with the Hubble Worlds Observatory instead is try to actually take an image of a pale blue dot, where the pale blue dot would be a world that would remind us of the Earth. Right, yeah, that, that famous picture of, of the Earth that, uh, which, which one was it that captured that? No. That would have been the idea from Carl Sagan, and it's when we had the Voyager spacecraft yeah, the Voyager, yeah. far out yeah, from yeah, us yeah. and turned back and took that beautiful image. Right, and, and you know, to, to the you know the naked eye, it is just a pale blue dot. But when we're able to zero in, and as I say, we've already kind of discovered some some exoplanets. Not necessarily that we see them per se, but we can identify these stars. We can identify what's rotating around these stars. Maybe even get to the point though of detecting some some chemical signatures. Like what's involved in in finding these planets and trying to learn more about them? Yeah, that's a great question. So the the challenge, as you alluded to, is going to be figuring out what, what's in the atmospheres. So the hope is that once we start measuring the atmospheres, that we'll see things such as water, such as ozone, such as methane. These are the, the, the chemicals we have in our atmosphere and the molecule that we believe are essential for life to continue. So when we start examining the atmospheres of these distant worlds, especially the ones that may remind us of the Earth, is if we see large amounts of oxygen, for instance, that would be a potential indicator that there might be biology that's present that's processing the materials in the atmosphere and driving what we call a non-equilibrium chemistry. So we're trying to do it with James Webb. Maybe the James Webb Space Telescope would be able to do it, but the Hubble Worlds Observatory kind of takes that to the next level because we're going to be looking at stars that are in our solar neighborhood. This means that they will be like tens to 50 light years away, so relatively close to us. And then by able to actually image the planet and get an idea of its colors that come with it is we're going to essentially be able to do what's called high-resolution spectroscopy to really dig out what the atmospheres are made out of, and then have arguments among the scientific community of, you know, do we believe that this is caused by life? Mm -hmm. 
When it comes to oxygen, like, you know, for example, I mean, you know, trees on this planet help produce oxygen. So oxygen would be then be a, a signal of life. But you don't necessarily need life on a planet to have oxygen? Yeah, that's correct. That's, that's an excellent point, and it's why... Uh, this is where we'll see the kind of scientific method play out in front of us, where evidence will be presented that suggests that maybe this is due to distant biology. Or, and you'll have arguments that say, well, no, you know, you can produce oxygen through all sorts of various chemical reactions. Uh, you can produce oxygen from the Earth's surface just by shining ultraviolet light on certain parts of it, for instance. So it's going to take a, a an extensive study, and one of the things, again, that the Hubble World Observatory is going to do is we're not going to be just studying one planet. Is The goal from the Hubble World Observatory is to study between 20 and 30 planets that may be Earth-like and then get a full sample. So are they all caused by, are they all caused by different types of geology, or is there ones that stand out to being different? So that's, it's the statistics and doing a wide survey that I think will really help us to, to answer that yeah. question. When we talk about Earth-like, I mean, Earth has a certain size. Earth has a certain rotation, you know, a certain length of the, the trip around our star. But an Earth-like planet doesn't necessarily have to have those exact same characteristics, right? No, not at all. Um, not only do you have to consider, like, how big is a planet, how massive is it, does it have an atmosphere? You also have to think about what evolutionary path did the planet take? The Earth in particular, we, we understand its composition and its current characteristics have been heavily influenced by our moon. The moon, we believe the moon happened through a large collision from the Earth and another large object that had the moon as a result. And if the moon hadn't collided with the Earth, we wouldn't have the same conditions present today. So, as we begin to explore a larger survey of worlds, we're not only interested in, is the planet have characteristics similar to what the Earth is, but what, how does the entire solar system operate? Are there planets further out, such as Jupiter and Saturn, which play a major role in sculpting the way, the, the way our architecture of our solar system formed, um, and trying to really tease out that evolutionary part? And that's going to be hard because it's not like we can sit around for a billion years and watch yeah. the planets evolve. We have to instead find planets at different stages of their evolution, so some that are young and some that are old, and then try to piece together a coherent picture of how planets, uh, the different pathways planets form, and if planets that produce, say, life and the Earth are relatively common or if they're relatively rare. Yeah, so that, that Goldilocks zone, I guess, the habitable zone as we refer to it, I mean, depending on the size of the star, depending on all those things, you know, that, that can mean different things. I, I remember reading a story last year, I don't know that this was considered habitable, but we found a, a planet that was actually orbiting twin stars, almost like Tatooine from the Star Wars universe. So it, it can mean different things in different circumstances. Yeah, you know, and this is the fun part about um, the era we live in right now. Um, we're, the, we're the first generation of humans to know that there's more planets in the Milky Way galaxy than there are stars. So that's your billions of billions of kind of number. And so you're going to find planets that have a wide diversity of conditions that we never considered, or in sometimes showed up in sci-fi, for instance, like the Tatooine system, and then we happen to find uh, a planetary system that looks like that. The concept of habitability is, I would say, relatively ill-defined because we only know about one planet so far out of those billions that has life, and that's us. So we take 
what we believe is necessary for the Earth to have good conditions, and then apply those rules to all the planets that we're observing elsewhere. It doesn't mean they're correct, and I fully expect we'll be we'll, we'll run into surprises as the sample of planets increases over the next decade. And I mean, look, these are all going to be very far away from us. We're talking about uh, other star systems, you know, even within our own galaxy. These these are not reachable places. But that's, you know, it's it's interesting to think about, right? Um, So, like I said, every planet, every star that you go outside on a clear night and you see a star, there's very likely planets that are in orbit around it. Um, So there's some planets that are a few light years away from us. And while we certainly don't have the technology to jump in a spaceship and travel there in a year, is we do have technology of which we could probably launch some type of probe and maybe it'll take hundreds of years or thousands of years to get there. So we could start up an experiment now that could be answered within a couple generations of if there are nearby planets of beginning to set up some sort of communication uh, or even probes to go in those directions. So it's it's not as terrible it, it's it's still hard but it's not as outrageous as you may think it is or at least kind of point our, our ears in that direction and maybe maybe we listen for something from that direction yeah you know and that's an ongoing study yeah. uh that for instance, i used to i used to work with the, the SETI institute in the, in the in the u.s uh and they have radio dishes that are constantly pointing towards stars of which we find exoplanets around and just you know checking it out and nothing has been found of yet and it's it's again a difficult exercise it really is the needle in a haystack of if you're searching through billions of potential stars to look for maybe only 10 or maybe only 100 of those have the right conditions that make a planet earth-like and if that's the case it's going to be very difficult to know where to look on the nighttime sky well, it's all very interesting and exciting. Looking forward to this. Uh, Dr. Rowe, thanks so much for making some time for us here this morning. Appreciate your insight on all this.